What's going on, everyone? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors at Renaissance. Mad grateful that you guys have tuned in with us for our online service. Uh, before we get started for today, I want to pray uh, for us uh, that God would meet us in this message. So, Heavenly Father, we are thankful to have this opportunity to connect with you. I pray that you would prepare our hearts, our minds, and our ears to receive uh, your words, and that they would drive us closer to you. So, Lord, be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So one of the most memorable trips of my life happened a number of years ago when my wife and I went to India. This was before we had kids, so it really was a carefree experience. And being in India lived up to the hype. The sights, the sounds were amazing. And one thing about the food is it's, it's pretty hot. So when we got back from India and we had survived eating the spicy Indian food for over a week, I kind of had a new bop in my step. We went, when we were back in New York and uh, a couple of weeks later, we decided to order Indian food and shout out to Clove on 139th in Amsterdam, my favorite Indian restaurant. Uh, when it was time to order Indian food, I just thought to myself that I am now, I'm basically Indian. I can handle the, the spiciest food that they can uh, give us or, or give to us. So we ordered the food and I got a lamb vindaloo and on the app, it asks you, how do you want your food? And I said, spicy, of course. So uh, when the food arrived, I, I should have known something was wrong because when I took the lid off, I could just smell the spice. And I don't know if you've ever had food so spicy, you can just smell it and it just starts to tickle your nose, just even breathing it in. But, you know, being the pro that I am, we sat down and we ate the food. And I'm not even exaggerating. After the first bite, it was a world of pain. I felt like someone took sandpaper and had scruffed it across my, my top lip. My mouth was just stinging in, in pain. And basically, even after trying to put yogurt on it to cool the temperature down, we ended up throwing it all away. And that night, all we had was brown rice for dinner. Now that day, I learned a life lesson that the Bible talks about all throughout its pages. It's you should never presume more highly of yourself than you actually are. You should never be what scripture calls prideful. Assuming that you can do something or assuming higher of yourself than you really are. Because pride always leads to destruction. Now, unfortunately, there have been many other times in my life, not just in eating Indian food and thinking that I was better than I actually am, when I've, I've actually tasted some of the destructive nature of what pride can do in, in your life. Now, here's what I'm talking about this today. This past week, as I was thinking about all the things that Renaissance are, are doing, uh, both in the pandemic and the things that we have done with regards to racial injustice and the things that we have planned to do, I was scrolling through Twitter and I just started to feel like I was better than other people. And I got scared. Now, I wasn't just thinking that I was doing better than other people. I started to believe that I was better than other people. One of the dangers in our pursuit of becoming a people of justice is that as we are pursuing to do good things, that we would start to look down on other people in the process. And that is what scripture calls pride. Now, there's been a scripture and, uh, that has kind of slapped me in the face this past week, and I want to read it for you because I think it's very sobering. Um, and it comes to us from 1 Peter verses five, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And here's what Peter says. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because this is his reason. 
because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Now, Peter gives us this message about pride and humility, and there's two things in the scripture that I want to point out before we get to the meat of our text today. He says, all of you, this is not just for leaders. This is not just for super Christians. This is not just for people on the front lines. All of you need to make sure that you are paying attention to this, that we need to clothe ourselves with humility. And then Peter goes on and he says this, here's the reason why we need to clothe ourselves with humility. Uh, here's the reason why we need to make sure that we are not letting pride take residence in our hearts because of this reason right here, because God himself resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now think about this for a second. Can you imagine anything worse than having the all-powerful God be in opposition to you? I can't. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Now, one of my concerns as we devote ourselves to becoming a people of justice is that uh, you and I would be devoured by pride, that it would corrupt us, that it would put us in opposition to God. Now, make no mistake about it, we do not have to become prideful in our pursuit of justice. Uh, verse, in, verse 8 talks about something that uh, I want us to pay special attention to right now, uh, right after these verses on pride and humility, where Peter is, is talking and he tells uh, the church, he tells the people of God to say, be sober-minded and alert. So pay attention to what's going on. Be alert. Don't fall asleep. Uh, be really uh, vigilant in understanding how things are working right now. And this, this is what he says. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. Whether it is a knee on my neck or pride in my heart, the devil is after my destruction. Over and over and over again in scripture, we're told about the dangers of pride and this enemy uh, that we wrestle against. It's not just flesh and blood, as Paul says in, in Ephesians 6. One of the biggest dangers that we need to be on guard against right now is pride. So I want us to ground, I want to ground us a little bit in a parable from Jesus. And I, wa I want to say a couple of things about the parable before I read it and really unpack it. One, the way Jesus told it was it was meant to be offensive and confrontational. So as you hear these words of Jesus, if they unsettle you, then good. You and I are meeting the real Jesus. One of the challenges of so many people in their spiritual life is they have a version of Jesus that never confronts them, that always agrees with them. That just, usually that Jesus is just you, uh, yourself in the mirror, and it's not actually God, because when people encounter Jesus in scripture, he confronts them, and this is one of those encounters. And even if you hear a little bit of uh, bass in my voice as I'm talking about these scriptures today, even if you sense confrontation from me, I want that to be uh, seen as a good thing because pride is so dangerous in our lives. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So there's a scripture that Jesus, uh, a parable rather, rather that Jesus tells his listeners, and it comes to us in Luke 18. And here's how it starts off in verse nine. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous 
and looked down on everyone else. This was me last week. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. So this guy's in a temple and he's praying about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee, because here's Jesus' reasoning. Everyone, not just some people, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I really want us to get how disruptive this parable is. And one of the keys to understanding the scripture uh, or any scripture is to understand it uh, in the way of what did the author intend for their audience that was listening to it? What did they intend for them to get out of it? Not necessarily what do our ears hear 2000 years later, but what did Jesus want to communicate to the people that were sitting down listening to him? Now, these two characters, the tax collector and the Pharisee, in our modern day, they don't necessarily bring out an emotional response out of us. In their day, uh, certainly these two characters would have brought out a huge emotional response from people. Uh, tax collectors were notoriously crooked people. So they worked for the Roman government. So the Roman government uh, was occupying Jewish land and they enlisted the help of these Jewish traders, these tax collectors, to take money so that the Romans could stay in power and continue their oppression over the Jewish people. Not only that, but the tax collectors would also take more money than they were uh, ordered to take and they would keep all of that for themselves. So they were traitors and they were thieves and everybody hated them. So, and the Pharisees uh, today, uh, as we understand this connotation of a religious official, a lot of people don't have warm and fuzzy feelings when it comes to religious people in power and for good reasons in many cases. But to them in that day, Pharisees were people that were universally respected. They were so respected that uh, right before Passover, uh, Pontius Pilate took out Jesus and this other guy, Barsabbas, uh, Barabbas, and he brought both of them out in front of the people. And he said, I'm going to release one of these prisoners to you. They're going to get off free. Jesus was brought up on charges of teaching. This other guy, Barabbas, was brought up on charges that he killed someone. The Pharisees were so respected that they convinced the crowd, that the crowd followed their lead and said, no, release to us Barabbas, because this is who the Pharisees are telling us to release. They were so respected and so persuasive in their connection with people that everyone was willing and wanted and cheered for a murderer to be released instead of Jesus. This is how strong their standing was in the community. When Jesus told this parable to people in this time, they would have seen the Pharisees as someone who were universally respected. So I wanna take a little bit of liberty and retell this story in ways that I think would get the same emotional response out of us that the original crowd would have received. And this is meant to be confrontational. It's meant to be disruptive because it's meant to dislodge the pride out of us and cause us to want to humble ourselves so that God would not resist us. So 
with some permission, I'm going to retell the scripture a little bit and change the characters out and change a, a little bit of the narrative so that it lands on our ears as I think Jesus intended for it to do. So he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. At 7 p.m., two people went up to the church to pray. One, a frontline worker, and the other, a corrupt politician. The frontline worker walked into the church, hearing the cheers of people screaming out of their windows as they were standing and praying like this about themselves. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, not down for the cause, or even like this corrupt politician. I put my life on the line every day during this pandemic. I march in the protests, but the corrupt politician standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this corrupt politician went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, these words from Jesus are stunning, and they should be bringing up a lot of emotional responses um, from inside of us. And this frontline worker who all of us respect, the nurses and the doctors and everyone uh, in so many different areas who put their lives on the line during this pandemic, their life is something that is worthy of respect. But what was it that brought them down so low? Their pride. What was it that caused them to be rejected by God and not to be justified? Their pride. Now, this is a really dangerous thing as we seek to become people of justice. All of your accomplishments could be negated by pride. And what God wants for us is humility in our lives. And uh, Jesus uh, tells us, gives us a window into a, a number of things. One of these things is how do we understand God and how do we understand our relationship with God? Now, what do we see from this tax collector um, or the Pharisee rather in this scripture that basically all they're relying on is religious comparisons? And here's a problem with religion in general and make no mistake about it. Jesus did not come so that you and I could be religious and compare ourselves to other people. That is not the purpose of Jesus uh, in our lives. Uh, he's come to, to give us something that we could never get on our own, but this Pharisee misses that completely. And here's what the problem, uh, here's the problem of religion, and here's what religious people do. We try to prove how good we are by what we don't do, right? So uh, for some people, these are personal ethics, and, uh, and uh, for others, these are social ethics, right? So we try to prove just how good we are by what we don't do. Number two, uh, we try to show how good we are by all the wonderful things that we do for people, and number three, and this is a dangerous one and a really big symptom of pride, we compare ourselves to other people and we think that we are accepted based on how much better we are than other people. And we see in this story how untrue that is. Now here's what's so wild about this entire text and this entire passage of scripture. This comparison is made in front of God. So it tells us in the scripture that the person is praying about himself. And he's in front of an all-holy, all-wise, all-powerful God, and he's running down his list of accomplishments. And this is, in so many different ways, it's like delusional, right? There's one scripture in 1 John where it says that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. 
God is light, God is perfection, and there's no darkness in him. And this man stands in the presence of a perfectly holy and righteous God and starts giving his little accomplishments. I was thinking about what's the best way to talk about this, and uh, it would be like if me and you were hanging out with Usain Bolt, and we're all socially distancing outside in Jamaica. It's a great time. And Usain Bolt is the fastest man on the planet. He has, you know, God knows how many gold medals and awards. And if I start talking about, you know what, when I was in fifth grade during our field day, yo, I punished Dan Fogelman in the potato sack race, and I got four blue ribbons that day, not one, not two, not three, four blue ribbons that day, and I swept the field, and it was one of the most impressive elementary field day performances uh, known to, to man. If I started bragging about my little accomplishments in front of Usain Bolt, you would probably be embarrassed for me and think that I was delusional. Why would I peddle out my little accomplishments in front of someone who had significantly more impressive things that they had done in their life? And for me to kind of talk about all the wonderful things that I've done would be delusional. Now, the same thing is true when we approach God with our little accomplishments, the things that we have done that are good. And we're coming to a God who is all holy, all perfect, all righteous. In him, he is light and there's no darkness at all. And we're talking about all the good that we have done. It's delusional and it misses out on God and his presence completely. One thing that I see in my own life is that I have mixed motivations in almost everything that I do. Sure, I want to help people, but I also want to do a good job. Now, I love scripture. I love God's word. I love teaching God's words to people. But there's always a piece of me in every sermon that I want to do a good job. I just want to do a good job. I want to go home and feel good about the job that I have done. And even in something that I think is a godly thing to do, like preaching, uh, there's still mixed motivations in me. I could never say that, in Jordan, that Jordan is light and there's no darkness at all. There are so many crevices in my life that are filled with darkness. So we would be a lot more humble if we were to compare ourselves to a, the right person in situation, not comparing ourselves to people that we think we're better than, but to compare ourselves to God. And certainly we would not walk away feeling prideful in those moments. So the prideful person, like me so many times, gets their approval from comparing themselves to other people and coming out favorably. When we compare ourselves to the wrong person, because if we compared our actions to God, we certainly would not be feeling prideful. But this corrupt politician or this tax collector in the text, they do something completely different. Their response is one of humility, and Jesus wants us to learn from their response and uh, here's what it says in, in verse 13. It says, but the, uh, the tax collector or the corrupt politician standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus concludes this part of the parable by saying that this one goes down to his house justified. Because everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted, but everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. Now, this tells us a couple things about this corrupt politician or this tax collector. Uh, one, that there was this fear and reverence in their approach to God. Two, they're, they're striking their chest. And this actually goes back to Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish Day of Atonement. And the act of striking your chest was an act of grief and contrition and repentance and just being sad over all the things that you have done. 
So what we're seeing in this text is that this person is finally now starting to feel the weight, the gravity of all of their sins and offenses. And number three, there's an acknowledgement of his wrongdoing and a desire for change. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, this means at least two things for us. Number one, the people that we are comparing ourselves to and the people that we write off, even the lowest person in your mind has the possibility for genuine change. So I think this, this parable warns against uh, judging people that they would never have a change in their life or writing them off. And, and number two, our prideful comparisons always work against us, not for us. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we see that here in this text. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So once we notice pride in our lives, how do we get rid of it? How do we evict pride from our hearts? Well, first and foremost, it's a day-to-day -day struggle. It's not something that you can do once uh, and never do it again. It's something that you're gonna have to visit and revisit early and often. And the more progress we make individually and corporately, the more we're gonna have to guard against pride. So there's a number of ways I think we can get rid of pride. And the first is that you and I need to celebrate grace not just in our lives, but God's grace in general. And what is grace? Grace is that God gives good things to people who do not deserve it. Now, most of us in our lives don't operate that way, and that's good news because, as God tells us in Isaiah 55, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are, are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than your ways and your thoughts. God is different, and you and I need to celebrate that. Over and over and over again in Scripture, what Jesus is trying to teach us is that the way he operates is not based on merit. It's based on grace. And once we receive that grace, we will be able to give it to other people, and that would help dislodge pride from our lives. There's this one parable that Jesus teaches where he talks about a shepherd, and this shepherd has a 100 sheep. And one of the sheep goes missing, and the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep vulnerable to go after the one. Now, some people hear that and they complain, thinking, why would you leave 99 sheep alone and go after one that was lost? Well, none of us would have a problem if that one sheep who was lost was, was us and God came in pursuit of us. There's a, another teaching in scripture where Jesus gives a parable about this vineyard owner and he hires a bunch of workers to work in his field for the day. One group of workers gets there at six in the morning. Another group of workers gets there at nine in the morning. And then he brings in another group at noon and then another group at 5 p.m. Now this group at 5 p.m. only works for about an hour. At the end of the day, Jesus says, the landowner lines up everyone in one line, starting from the latest to the earliest, and he gives them all the same thing. The people who got there at six in the morning start complaining and the landowner comes to them and he says, are you angry? because I am generous. A lot of times we are angry uh, at God be just because God is generous and gracious. There's another story in scripture where Jesus talks about a woman uh, in the middle of the temple and all of these people are giving large sums of money, but this, this widow, this woman gives her two mites and it's basically just like a handful of pennies that she has given. Jesus applauds this woman and says, she has given more than large sums of money. Now, these are just three examples out of many, but what does this tell us about God? It tells us that one sheep gets more attention than 99, 
one hour workers get the same paycheck as 12 hour workers and a widow's two pennies are more than large sums of money. And here's what this tells us about God, that grace is terrible math. And as long as you operate in the economy of merit, grace will always frustrate you because it never adds up. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing because none of us, uh, if we properly understand the Christian message, none of us get what we deserve. That is actually the crux of the Christian message, that the hope that we have is that we are not getting what we deserve. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. It says, he made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Scripture teaches us this thing called grace, which is the great reversal, that Jesus got what we deserve, our sins on the cross, uh, what our sins on the cross deserve, which is punishment and separation from God. And we get what Jesus deserved, which is connection and relationship and righteousness and right standing before God. So before you write someone off, I want you to celebrate grace in your life that none of us are getting what we deserve and thank God that we're not. So number one, we need to celebrate grace. And number two, this one might make you a little bit mad uh, because it, did, it made me mad at first when I thought about it. Uh, we need to expose the idols that are causing pride in our lives. I'll say that again. We need to expose the idols that are causing pride in our lives. You want to know who the idol is in your life that's causing pride? Here's how you check. Go to your phone, open it up, go to the camera, and open up the selfie cam, and you will see the idol right there. Your idol is it's you. It's you thinking you know more than God, and that your ways and your thoughts are equal or better than God's ways and God's thoughts. And we write people off because we don't think that they could ever have a genuine change. We think we know. And we don't follow Jesus in so many different ways because, again, we think that we know. And that is pride. And God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Here's a quick idolatry check in terms of who are we willing to follow? Are we following ourselves or are we following Jesus? And this one is for my Christians that are watching. Here's what Jesus tells us about how we should respond in this moment to other people. Here's what he says, Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. Now, pride and idolatry say, I know better than Jesus. And God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. Now, here's why this is so dangerous. When I'm prideful, I basically write people off and say, there's no chance that they'll ever get it. And that's just not true. Uh, we see this actually in the life of Paul, who is a follower, who was a, a follower of Jesus. But before he was a follower of Jesus, he basically was an avowed terrorist that was terrorizing the Christian community. He oversaw and arranged the persecution and death and murder of so many different Christians. But God woke him up. And here's why God woke him up. This, here's what Paul says uh, about that. He says, but I received mercy for this reason. So that in me, the worst of them, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate 
his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying this, God wants to have Paul as an example for us, those of us who believe in him, that nobody is beyond the loving, stretching hands of Jesus. Now, this does not mean when we're praying for them that we are dismissing or ignoring the egregious errors and wrong, but it does mean praying for them earnestly and honestly. So that family member of yours who you just want to write off as ignorant and stupid, that person that you look down on as lazy or not as with it or aware as you, pray for them. Now, the third thing that we need to do is to pray. And this is a daily act of coming to God humbly and asking God to uproot pride from our lives and to pray for forgiveness and uh, for God to free us of this dangerous pride in our lives. So I want to close us with that right now, a prayer of confession that we're confessing our pride to God, uh, asking him to remove it from our lives. Father in heaven, forgive us for being prideful people. So often we think we are righteous by our own actions rather than receiving righteousness through the blood of Christ. We do not like to admit that we are weak and instead we look to the failings of others. We often think that we are better than others and we expect them to be perfect for us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for having an arrogant attitude toward our neighbors in the body of Christ, toward our neighbors who don't yet know you, and toward those we don't know but we stereotype. We fail to see our neighbors as people made in your image. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for our pride. Help us to see ourselves and our neighbor through your eyes, the eyes that looked at the world and the, wor the eyes that look at us through the perspective of the cross. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen.